0: Well, true confession time. Um, I drive to our church buildings now for 20 years almost, and more often than not as I'm driving and thinking about the passage that I'm going to share with you, this thought usually creeps into my head. Well, what if, like, what I'm teaching isn't really relevant to people's lives? What, What if they can't connect with whatever principles that uh, I'm going to be trying to share this weekend. And I, I battle that from time to time as I'm driving into our church buildings. This is not one of those weekends because today we're talking about sleeping in church. And uh, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. No matter what campus you're at at this moment, whatever campus you find yourself in this moment, like, I don't go blind when I stand on the stage. Like, I can see you. And many times... You entertain me. Sometimes I get lost in what I'm supposed to say because I'm watching you guys go to sleep. It's the funniest thing on the planet to me. Uh, I've noticed there's three kinds of sleepers, right? N- number one, I see the Hollywood sleepers. That's those who you go to sleep and when you catch yourself, you act like you try to act like you weren't asleep at all. It's like, oh yeah, that was a good word. Yeah, you know. And it, come on, man, you were sleeping. My favorite, though, are you holy rollers. You know, you act like you're in a prayer pose or something, but your bottom lip is pooching out. And I, many of you, like, until I get to know you, I think you're agreeing with me, but then I notice you're just nodding off. And, and then there's the, the third one is the whiplash sleepers. That's the ones that, like, you have neck vertebrae that are cracking. When you come back up, you got to go to Cairo after church. You know? Uh, I think all of us can relate to, whether it's at church or work or at school or on an afternoon when you get still for a moment, this overwhelming need to take a nap, right? Do you know there's a story in the Bible about a guy who goes to sleep in church? So I'm going to tell you two stories about two different guys who have two of the coolest names in the Bible. So we're going to learn names together. The first one, the first story we're going to look at is about a guy named Eutychus. Everybody say Eutychus. Eutychus, his story is found in Acts chapter 20. The story goes like this. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until when? Come on, somebody. His countdown clock went off. We're talking about a six-hour sermon. Anybody in on a six-hour sermon? The man goes on and on. It's It's midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Now, anytime you see a detail like that in the Bible, you got to try to figure out what it's there for, right? It's like, why don't we need another lamp? lamps? So we'll get to that in a moment. He says, seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus. Everybody say Eutychus. Eutychus. Who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Paul went down, threw himself, no, uh, hang on, it says, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Now, look at me, everybody. I preached some bad sermons, but I ain't killed none of y'all. I mean, <laughs> the man falls out the window and is deader than Rover. Now, look, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and he put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then they went upstairs and broke bread and ate, and after talking until daylight, do you get this? The man dies, Paul revives him, and then he goes back to preaching again. (laughs) The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, I've probably, in 20 years at Cross Timbers, I've probably taught this story three or four times. It's a bedrock principle for me about ministry, and I, I... I love the humor in the Bible and the story is funny to me, but as I've gotten older and as I've uh, uh, read and studied this story over and over again, it's like diamonds. It's got many facets, right? I'm learning new things about this story. When I originally started teaching this story, I, you know, we kind of made fun of Eutychus and then you get a little bit older and anybody get a little bit older and get a little nap, come on somebody every now and then. I got any moms of young kids who are sleep deprived. The baby's up all night. I got any college kids who like cramming for tests. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? And you begin to think about the story in another way. In fact, one of the things in America today, I think this is interesting. One of the leading areas of research is in sleep science. Did you know this? That people are trying to understand how to sleep better because we are a sleepless generation. And so... I was doing some reading and started nerding out about sleep science. And it was interesting because when, when I go, when, when I take a nap, when I go to sleep, anybody ever like, wait, what happened? I just went to sleep. Anybody besides me ever do that? I'm jet lagged. I just got back from Greece. Mike and I, the leaders of our church family, so take care of us and allowed me to go on a footsteps of Paul journey. And I, I spent two weeks and I'm on the plane coming home, and Mike said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to read. I'm going to watch three movies and read a half a book. I watched a half a movie, and Michael woke me up when the plane was landing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I didn't even know I'd gone to sleep. And when you go to sleep like that, listen, science says that your body overrides your right to choose. Now, think about this, you, that you have a subconscious and it's, moder- it's, it's, it's constantly monitoring the toxic- toxicity, I can't say that word, of your blood. It, it's, it's your blood, and the state of your blood is telling your mind how healthy you are. Right? And so sleep at its core is your subconscious reading the toxicity of your, of your bloodstream and saying, hey, you need to repair yourself. Ultimately, you sleep, you and I sleep to either to repair the damage that we do to our bodies. Think about this for a moment. It's very interesting that I'm not talking about like you pickled your liver or broke your knee, damage. Here's what I'm talking. I'm talking about this is the most finely honed machine that's ever been created. God created the human body, right? And so when it's running, just in natural Living your life, you damage this machine. It's And and your uh, sleeping is the way that you restore what damage is done to your body. Everybody with me? And you're, when you fall asleep, your body is telling you something. It's telling you there is damage and you need for it to be restored. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a whole new picture of this story of Eutychus. I'm not looking at him in this religious way of, hey, you go to sleep in church, you're going to die kind of thing. I'm saying this. Look at me. See him as someone who has been damaged. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been under so much stress, battling so much anxiety. Maybe there's these, I call them the movie reels that go off when you close your eyes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can't get the movie to stop playing. Maybe you're living through a disappointment. I mean, the stress of that is damaging your body. Maybe your subconscious is telling you that you need some rest. What you're seeing in this story is you're seeing Paul showing us what, how God feels about somebody who doesn't have the strength to keep going. Paul, who is, in his own words, an imitator of Christ, follow me as I follow Christ, says, here's how Jesus responds to you when you find yourself overwhelmed and overcome. I mean, we, we don't know what's put Eutychus in this business. Maybe he had a hard day at work. He's there by himself. Maybe there's some brokenness in his marriage relationship if he's married. Maybe it's just life, right? Just doing life. Who knows? But he's sitting in the window. Paul begins to preach. Can you imagine getting to hear Paul preach, by the way? He's he's sharing the gospel. And the interesting thing is, it says that the lamps, there were lamps all over the room that were lit. Now, anywhere in the Bible you see lamps, light, it symbolizes truth. There's all of this truth around him, and nobody's noticing this one who's depleted. And he falls out in the window, and instantly, Paul runs down the stairs. I want you to notice what he does not do. He doesn't begin to say to everybody around him, "See, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't pay attention." This isn't an object lesson for him to teach? There's no, i hey, be healed," or you know, like you see on TV. He just embraces him. The Spirit of God in Paul connects with the Spirit of God in Eutychus and a miracle happens. Is there any more poignant picture of your call and my call in a world that seems to be falling to sleep. I mean, you hear us talk about being a difference maker. You hear us talking about your sphere of influence. Anybody ever watch the news and go, man, God, you need to do something about this city I live in, this state I live in, this country I live in, this world that I live in? God, are you... What are you going to do? And we find out in Acts 20 that now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is I was a young youth pastor. I was, I mean, I was so young I had hair. And uh, I had no clue what I was doing. I don't know why I was this way, but I had no problem admitting that I didn't know what I was doing. I'm, I'm just trying to find somebody who's done it before me and i met this older gentleman i think when he retired from youth pastoring i think in our little denomination he had been a youth pastor longer than anyone ever he was like i'm in my 20s he's in his late 40s at this point in time i never forget his name. his name is mike myers and we were talking one day and i said mike i gotta tell you the truth man i'm not really sure how to do this youth ministry thing he said hey why don't you open your bible to Acts 20 and we opened the bible we read the story of utica and he said let me ask you a question what killed the guy he said i said the preaching he said what brought him back to life he said the embracing it's been the bedrock foundational principle of my ministry for over 40 years That make no mistake about it when the Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He's not saying that truth doesn't matter. He's saying you always leave with love. That rich, poor, young, old, new to the faith, walked in the faith your whole life. You can practice the ministry of choosing relationships over issues and being one who understands that we are not going to screen people into the kingdom. We're going to love them into the kingdom. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? That God has uniquely positioned you to be His hands and feet. And sometimes... It's just embracing somebody whose life's been damaged. It's interesting, you... uh, I'm a little... Y'all got to give me a little grace, man. I'm a little, like, smitten with walking in the footsteps of Paul. i just, like, overwhelmed by it, really. You, You stand in Ephesus. You... I mean I was out on the island of Crete at the cave where Jesus gave John the revelation. Standing in those ruins looking at a helmet that the army the soldiers would wear, the same soldiers that Paul watched walk by and said in Ephesians to That our battle was not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principalities of this dark age. And to arm yourself with the helmet of salvation. And I stood in the city of Corinth. Not Corinth like down south of, like the real Corinth. And I'm standing in these ruins and I'm standing at the, in the middle of what they call the Agora. It's, It's the marketplace. It's just the... Greek word for a marketplace, the Agora, where they would come, and at the end of every Agora in every city, there's a, there's a platform that towers above the marketplace, and it's called the Bema Seat. Everybody say the Bema. Bema. And the Bema Seat is the place where the leaders in the community would come and make proclamations, but it was also where people got judged. That's where they would bring the criminals, right? And it was in that... At that very place, that bema seat that I was standing on, that the Bible tells us the story of a guy that I bet you've never heard about. It's another interesting name, Sosthenes. Everybody say Sosthenes, Sosthenes. One of my tech guys said he had to look it up, and make spell check, make sure I didn't miss the word. But it's the story of Sosthenes and this bema seat in Corinth that. It happens in Acts chapter 18. Let me tell you, this is, I'll get to the, the point of the story, but you've got to understand the context. It's hilarious because Paul comes to Corinth. He does what Paul does. He starts preaching the gospel, and all these Gentiles start coming to Jesus. And all the Gentiles are gathering, and guess who got mad about it? The Jews. you got the Gentiles. The Jews don't like it. Paul's in the synagogue. The Jews pitch a fit. Paul says, Well, I'm washing my hands of you, and he leaves. And don't miss this. He moves in next door to the synagogue to live with a believer. Can you imagine what that was like every day? Everybody walking to the synagogue, and Paul's there. Ooh, I'm right here. He stays for a year and a half in Corinth. The Jews get so angry, they pull him out of the house, and they take him down through the Agora to the Bema seat. And the leader is a guy named Gallio. Everybody say Gallio, not Galileo, Gallio, Come on. Galio, and they bring Paul before Galio, and they say this. They say, hey, this guy, he's, he's, uh, he's causing damage in our city. And Gallio looks at him and basically says this. That's a theological issue. That's not a political issue. I'm not going to have anything to do with, it, with, with this case. You with me? I'm standing on this place where this happens. Now listen to this. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and they brought him to court. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle them out of yourselves. I'm not going to be a judge of these things. So he had them ejected from the court. Now, don't miss this. Then they all turned on Sosthenes. Come on. Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Galilos showed no concern whatsoever. You see what's happening here? The Jews bring him down. They're rioting. They're so angry that the judge won't put a sentence on him. They beat their own leader. You You should have found a loophole. You should have had him beat. And years later... From a Roman prison, Paul writes a letter back to the church at Corinth. Anybody have an idea what the name of that letter was? Corinthians. What you just heard a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's first letter. You know how he starts the whole letter? Listen to this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother... To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you answer me this question. How does a guy who's trying to get Paul's head cut off become the guy who gets greeted in arguably one of the most famous books in all the Bible, the book of, how does he go from the enemy to my brother Sosthenes? Well, nobody knows for sure, but can I tell you what I think? I think the church did what they saw Paul doing. I think these new believers decided that their model for living their life was the life of Jesus. And they'd heard about the woman caught in the very act of adultery. You know, the more religious you are, the more you find comfort and you jump to go and sin no more. Everybody skips over the neither do I condemn you part. No repentance, no confession. And he says, I don't condemn you. Why? Because embracing is what changes people. He'd heard about him eating it with tax collectors and sinners. He heard about him giving honor to a woman who brought just a widow's might. He heard about the woman who was a prostitute who broke the jar at his feet and who he stood and defended. They had heard the story They thought that's how Christians were supposed to live. So Sosthenes is beat up, lying on the side of the road. And who are the ones that bind his wounds, that bring him back in, that include him? It was the people, the very people, who he'd been trying to get their leader killed. Because embracing is what changes people's lives. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By how you love each other. In his last days, in his last moments with his disciples, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets on his hands and feet, and he, on his knees, and he washes their feet, and he says, I, who am teacher and Lord, Lord, Wash your feet. You go wash other people's feet. Why? Because embracing is better than arguing. Yeah, but we got to stand for truth. The truth is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It is possible to win a battle and lose the war if your first move is not grace. And I want to tell you something, everybody. Look at me for just a minute. (laughs) We live, God has divinely placed us in a moment in time in not just a city or a region or a state or even a, a county, but an area of North Texas that is exploding in population. I mean, have you seen some of the Latest documentation about the explosive growth that was TWU and UNT and Denton, the, the number of homes that were here two years ago and the number of homes that are coming. I don't know how many of you know that in Argyle, that within, I think, 10 miles of where our campus is located right now, they're expecting a quarter of a million people to be living in the next, I think, seven or eight years, the air, God has divinely placed us where, in an area that is exploding. You know what that means? We are surrounded by exploding needs. That's not just more people, that's more broken marriages, that's more mental illness, that's more addiction. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? That's more challenges to live life. And for many of these people, the only Bible they're ever going to see is you and me. I just want to be known as the place that embraces people because that's what Jesus did for you and me while we were still sinning. He died for us. You know, I've been uh, behind the scenes for the last, I don't know, 18 months or so. My wife, Mike, is here with us, and she'll tell you, God bless her heart. She has to listen to this all the time for me. I've just been... uh, been thinking about a culture in north texas that we live in of people who uh who don't know christ and quite honestly don't really have any interest in the things of god the only thing they read is the stuff you know in the paper on social media where christians are beating each other up and i want nothing to do with that and i think about and I, i say to michael i'm like how are we going to engage these people I mean, they're not going to walk in the doors of our building just like, oh, it's Sunday. I think I'll go to church. I mean, you know what I'm saying? How are we going to engage these people? And I, I believe that we're living in a culture, not just a generation that's coming, but we're living in a culture of more disengaged people in what I think is the most powerful entity on earth, the local church, more disengaged in the mission and the life of a local church than ever in the history of the world. Was that true? And I'm like, how we, like, we, we're going to have to experiment with new ways to engage people in our mission. The kind of the traditional way that I grew up is we ask them to come to a building and then we try to employ them in ministry, right? What if, I was saying to her, just like, what if we tried to engage people in ministry first? For 19 years, I've said, we grow by doing, Right? What if? What if we started in embracing and then got to gathering and instead of garden, starting with gathering, went to embracing? Like, would that be a good, like, worth a shot? Right? And, and she just heard it over and over again, "We got to find new ways." And many of you know that for like two years. Uh, We've been looking for a location, a permanent location for our Lake City's campus, and God just kept closing doors, and every time we thought we were getting closed, God would close the door, and uh, I just said to some of our leaders, well, man, let's just, what's God showing us, and we started dreaming about what if we took our Lake City's campus, and we moved to another location, and we Instead of being a campus, we were the word we came up with was a ministry center, right? That engaged people in ministry first, and the gatherings look different than like our traditional gatherings. There's nothing wrong with the way we gather, but it's not there for some. It's just not their thing. So what if we tried another way? And we got really excited because we found a place that we were going to partner with, and we shared it with the leaders at Lake Cities, and those God bless those thirty plus folks over there that are core leaders. They were like, I'm in, and they were dreaming of ways we could do ministry together. And at the ninth hour, the place that we were partnering with had a change in leadership in the board called and said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that right now. And I, my team was really disappointed. I'm just giving you the straight scoop. The team. And I said, hey, man, look, like the strategy was a ministry center. The The place was just a tool, right? So, God, what are you showing us? Well, Like our heart has been planted and very familiar with the needs in the community of Denton. For those of you who had not been to our Denton campus, we're right by one of the largest feeding programs right across the street from our building in this entire county. We're kind of the thoroughfare in the lane where homeless people come from there to here. Several ministries have been birthed out of our church. People in our church, Solutions in North Texas, Grace Like Rain, I could go on and on, and they're all down here and so here's what we decided we decided we talked about it prayed about it. we said you know what like we're gonna shut down the lake city's campus and ask those lake city leaders who are so excited about trying this new model of ministry come join our denton campus let's begin a ministry center on the campus of our denton campus and so this sunday is many of you are meeting this day our Lake City's campus is celebrating all that God, and God bless their hearts, by the way. I mean, they've built relationships, they put their blood and guts in this thing, and they're, they're gonna come join what's happening on our Denton campus. They're gonna step out into the unknown, why? Because they're gonna lead us in what it means to embrace hurting people. And I'm telling you, this isn't just about reaching a community, it's about engaging people in our mission that have never been engaged before. I'm just not going to be the old guy that says, those kids today, I'm going to go, where are people living and let's try to meet them. I want to be like Paul, right? I'm going to come all things to all men in order that I might do what? Win some. I believe this is the beginning of something big at Cross Timbers. I believe a ministry center model is not the only way, but it is one way that we're going to engage in mission people who have been out on what? happens in local churches so will you pray with us about that as that begins over the next few weeks our leadership has been studying the needs of this area talking to these ministry these uh faith-based nonprofit leadership groups how can we help how can we serve how can we partner with you in fact we're about to start a training for anyone who says man i'd kind of like to be a part of that i'd like to be a part of being the hands and feet of jesus in a different way All I need you to do is take one of the cards out of the seat backs here, put your email on it, and just put Ministry Center, and drop it off in the back on your way out, and we'll get it, and we'll send you an email about where this training's going to begin. You might want to be a part of it with us. Uh, Like, I don't think this is just a good idea. I think this is a God idea. The story of Eutychus has always come to mind for me when we've talked about these principles. And I have to look at my sweet friend, Mike Myers, not the guy on TV, the pastor, who said, hey, Toe, what killed him? What brought him back to life? And I think about the hundreds of thousands of Sosthenes in our neighborhoods. And I'm just not thinking... Petitions and Facebook rants are going to win them into the kingdom. I think we have to love them. Right where they are. Just like Jesus did us. And I'm believing that the best is yet to come. So here's my challenge for you. My one little challenge for you. No matter whether you're going to investigate this new effort here at Cross Timbers or whether you go, going know, it's not really my deal, but I, I, I believe in this principle. I'm, I'm asking you to look Ask the Lord to open your eyes this week to one student at UNT. One mama in your mommies and me group. One guy or gal in your office that's hard for you to love. And find a way to speak a word of life over them. And see if God might use that seed to do something in their life that's never happened before. Can we just, can we all do that? Just one little seed from everyone. How many of you will do that with me this week? Michael, that lady's hard for us out there where we live. Let's just encourage her this week. You help me, I'll help you, all right? Uh, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but being found in human likeness and taking on the nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death. On a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The path to greatness is found in embracing people that are hard to love. Let's pray together. Father, may the Spirit of Jesus be reflected in our lives. May the Bible that people are seeing that aren't reading the Bible, may they read us as people, flawed people who love you and want to love them. Lord, I do. I pray for our ministry center, this new model that's launching out of our Denton campus. I pray a blessing right now in Jesus' name over these people of Lake Cities who are going to experiment with us be pioneers with us in a new environment pioneering sounds good till you're the one pioneering Lord, would you fill them with your spirit i pray lord for the sasenes of our region beat down broke down i pray for the eutychuses that live around us just depleted damaged i pray lord that it would be our embrace The Spirit of God in us connecting with the Spirit of God in them that might bring them to life again. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.